when you start, you will be the least experienced, but you are going to become one of the most experienced. And so you are going to see both sides of the relationship. So just keep that in mind, the way that you grow and see how you want to end up, whether it's like your coworkers or not like your coworkers, they are kind of you in the future. And so you have a direct way to shape how you end up. Meta Material Inc. is a developer of high-performance functional materials and nanocomposites. Meta delivers previously unachievable performance across a range of applications by inventing, designing, developing, and manufacturing sustainable, highly functional materials. Meta is a fast-growing company with a positive and committed work culture and a phenomenally talented workforce. Our employees are inspired to do exceptional and innovative work and are proud to contribute to the success of the company and they are our greatest asset. Meta attracts people from all countries and cultures with over 35 spoken languages represented across all our teams. Meta believes that diversity drives creativity and innovation. With locations in Canada, the United States, the UK, and Greece, Meta is growing and is looking for new talented people to join the team. If you're passionate about doing your best work, making a difference, and having fun while doing it, apply to one of our open positions at metamaterial.com careers. Hey everyone, hope all is well. Thank you for joining us for episode 79. It's been really fun getting the opportunity to interact with MSEs from around the world, having all these different types of conversations. So I just wanted to thank you all for joining us on this ride and listening to this podcast as we uncover the unique ways MSC makes an impact all around us. And as for this episode, we, we recognize that our listeners are at different points in their MSC journey. You know, some are just starting out, some have extensive experience in industry and kind of everything in between, both with academia and, you know, national labs and a job. But in previous Q&As, I think we've catered more towards like undergrad students who are just starting out or in their job search, their internship search. But today we're going to do like a mix of everything. So we're going to talk about, you know, how to remain successful once you do get a job, as well as an assortment of other topics like behind the scenes of the podcast and uh, funny and awkward moments in our MSE careers. So if you'd like to submit any future questions for, you know, our next Q&A, you can do so in our Discord. The link will be in the description. And without further ado, David, do you want to start us off with the first question? Sure. So this actually comes from our listeners from our Discord, Maggie, and she asked, what was your funniest or most awkward experience as a MSc student? Yeah, I had a couple that came to mind and it, it's tough. I, we, we saw this question in our Discord, so I've been thinking about it a little bit and there's just there's so many like little experiences. I think one of the ones that came to mind was our MSc group was like really tight knit. You know, we struggled together, so we formed like a pretty strong bond, you know, like a covalent bond, not a Vandermeer's <laughs> force bond. All right, never mind. Um, and so we had a, a MSC party and we we had this like big group. And so like we also invited, you know, non-MSCs as well. But in order for them to actually get into the party, they had to fill out like a change of major form to MSC. So I thought that was that was pretty funny in terms of just like building that camaraderie among the group. That was pretty early on in our MSC careers. And then another one was our like first capstone class. It was a struggle for like every Friday. It was at 3 p.m. And so if 
any anyone has had like an afternoon Friday class, you know that that's just like a struggle to get through. You just want to be done. And it wasn't just like 3 p.m. to 4 p.m. or whatever. It was like a lab class. So it was 3 to 6 p.m. And so eventually I feel like people just kind of got like fed up with, with just how long it was. And so people started like ordering pizza and like even our friend Tim brought like a banjo and would start playing that in the middle of the lab as well. So that was a good time. We made it fun. We went out for, for food afterwards too. But those were kind of some of those like memorable moments. We as a group just like struggled together, you know, and just like went through it together and built that camaraderie. But yeah, what, what was your maybe funniest or most awkward moment as an MSc? Yeah, mine is kind of both together. It actually involves you, Puni. But when Puneeth and I first started to get to know each other, we did a summer program together and we were roommates. And I somehow got Puneeth's number. And so I texted him, hey, do you want to be my roommate for this? And he said, sure. So before that, we didn't talk very much. So on the first day when we moved in, Puneeth was trying to break the ice. And <laughs> he asked me what major I was after <laughs> this program is just for material scientists. So it was kind of like, this guy is kind of weird. I made a mistake into, uh, what What did you just say? So overall, it was a great icebreaker looking back at it. I, I don't know what could have ever been better. So, but it was, it was really funny because I was like, what? I think I just responded like, what? what? You're like, what are you talking about? In my defense, we were both like, we both had a long day in terms of moving in. And this was literally the first moment when like both of our dads had left and like started driving back home. Um, and so this is like our first moment where we were like officially like living together. And I was just like, I don't know what to say. So I just asked the standard question, what major are you? But yeah, we built a beautiful, beautiful friendship as a result mm -hmm. of that that's now amounted to now like six years as best friends. So I think it was a, a perfect icebreaker, but I don't recommend uh, people start out with that unless it's intentional. <laughs> yeah, just as you planned. <laughs> exactly. Okay, next question is, what do you wish you could have done differently during your time as an MSc student? It's it's a dual it's a dual edge here, but one of the things that I wish I would have said was say no a little bit more, but also say yes. So I know that's a oxymoron, but what I mean is that I definitely felt at times that I had way too much going on, and like I was just tired all the time, just sluggish, and didn't really want to do anything, became unmotivated, and so I think I should have learned to cut my losses and things that had stopped becoming fun for me and refocus on areas that I was more interested in. And so I actually, during COVID, it was all coming to like fruition where like I had all these responsibilities and I was just kind of tired and then COVID happened. And honestly, it was a terrible time, but also really good because it dropped all my like, responsibilities and I had to refocus when I came back and things started to open up again. But before then, I, I was kind of just overwhelmed and was just trying to cross the finish line at that point to get through the semester so I could just stop doing things in that semester. So I think that's probably something I would have tried to change. But other than that, I think I had a pretty good time. I think that you look back and you have hindsight and you're like, oh, I should have done this. But I think I am who I am today because of everything that's happened. And I'm pretty happy with that. So I wouldn't change too much else. What about you? Yeah, I remember that was a tough time for you. That was the, the semester where David and I both I think we both graduated. I don't know when you graduated with your bachelor's degree, <laughs> but that was like our capstone year. But then I know you were in the TNM program. So you had two capstones on top of, instead of just one. So yeah, I remember us talking when 
COVID first hit and definitely, definitely a rough time, but it was a little bit of like that reset where we dropped a lot of commitments and less testing was needed for that capstone project and, and things like that. So definitely understand that feeling. For me, I think I spent too much time focusing on like getting really, really good grades instead of like settling for good grades, you know, and not enough time focusing on the things that like really mattered for my long-term goals, which was essentially just like getting a good job or getting internships and things like that. And just like finding my passion as well, right? Because MSC is so versatile. And I know we harp on this a lot, but again, that's the question that I wanted to reiterate is that I remember David, you and I were spending like every other weekend for Thermo, like studying hours and hours for, for those tests. And we would consistently be like top five, I think. But then one thing that was a learning from that in our ceramics class was that I didn't need to be top five anymore. I can still like study less and still get the A in the class and it'll show up the same on as my GPA. And so I wish, I guess, looking back on it, I would spend more time networking, um, just like chatting with like MSE peers, developing those relationships, you know, networking with people on LinkedIn as well building my personal brand and, and like allocating more time towards like experiences where I can grow, you know, like leadership experiences or, or work experiences or research. I think at the end of the day, that's where you grow the most. And that's what from the job standpoint, recruiters want to see as well. So it's like, there's a bunch of benefits to, to doing that, but I think all we've learned since like kindergarten is just like how to study. Right. And so we're just kind of like, that was just ingrained in my head, at least it's just like, oh, study, study, study. But if I were to go back, I would spend less time doing that. Yeah. Anything to add there before we move on to, you know, the industry and early career professional questions? No, I think this is a very interesting topic. And I know that for perfectionists, it's hard to let go. So it's just knowing yourself and it's okay if you get not perfect. Right, right. Absolutely. But yeah, so kind of going away from school, we l really realized that we have listeners that are already in the industry, for example, who are recent graduates to their jobs. Then the question comes up, how do you keep growing personally and professionally once you do get a job? David, do you have anything that comes to mind immediately? Yeah, I think it will depend a lot about the company. And so looking forward, that should be something that you're intrigued about or asking about when you're interviewing. And so a lot of companies have like internal portals where you can learn. And so it would differ from company to company, but basically they are investing a lot of money into continuing to grow you as a talent. And so online courses or, or like these license are very common. And so just knowing what resources are out there allows you to continue to grow. But on top of that, I think that it's the best way to get a goal and achieve it is just being open with your manager. And so saying what you want in three years allows you to be clear and precise and then allow them to help you reach that goal. So I think that those two are really big ones. And it kind of all comes down to scouting companies and scouting the position. And so it really is the difference between, oh, this is a really good company, but my manager wouldn't be so great and I wouldn't be able to grow or there's this less good position, but there's more room for growth. And it's where you are at your stage in your career and what you want out of it. But those are things that as a applier, you should be vetting the company on. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's like a general rule that I, I heard from a director where generally it takes like six months to like fully train a new, new hire. And, you know, kind of at that six month threshold is when they can like really contribute value and, you know, like take off the training wheels. And so directors and managers are kind of looking for that 2x to 3x like return on investment right so you know after that six months they would like to see you contributing to that team and providing value for like another year or so like a year year and a half so that's just something to keep in mind that really great managers and great teams they understand that you want to grow personally and professionally and maybe that means that the best way to do that is by going to a different team after like a year and a half or two years or maybe you want to continue to rise up that same ladder, like it's just different for, for everybody, but just having those open conversations, like you mentioned, David, with your manager is super key. And then you can kind of work with them to obtain experiences that can get you to where you want to be. And I think on top of that, just like asking your, your manager, like what experiences, traits and, and skills are required to kind of get to that next level also in terms of just like promotions, right? And then you can continuously ask for feedback in your personal areas for improvement. And then you just kind of incorporate that into your weekly schedule and just like continuing to reflect and figure out how you can practice that. You know, for me, it was like speaking up more in these like larger team meetings, right? So it was just something where it was like being mindful of it then taking that feedback from from the team, from my managers, and just trying to implement it and just get better day by day. Do you have anything to add there? I think one more like slightly unrelated thing is that there's also an aspect personally where you can go out and seek knowledge on your own outside the company and outside the scope of your work. And I think that this is valuable. In some cases, you don't always want to be on the clock. And so it's going to be a balance. But Basically, we have all these different fields, but we can take from these other fields that are adjacent to ours. And so a lot of times for data analysis, you can take a lot from other fields and stats and ISYE, et cetera. And a lot of problems that we face as engineers can be solved in other ways that have already been found. And so I recently found a brain teaser that I thought was pretty easy. I was wrong. And so I would love to ask you, but... <laughs> <laughs> Say that we have an experiment and we have a variable X that we can change to see what Ys we'll get. And it is between 20, the X value cannot be lower than 20, and it cannot be higher than 60. And so basically, if you're given 10 measurements to characterize the relationship, given that we know it's linear, where would you measure? Basically, you have only a certain amount of money. How do you get the most accurate measurements with that? And so with that, what, what do you think you would do? Wait, can you like repeat the question? So X is between 20 and 60. Yeah. So we know from previous experiments that it cannot be lower than 20 and it cannot be higher than 60. And we know that in between 20 and 60, as X increases, Y increases in a linear fashion. But we don't know what the value is at 20. We don't know what the value is at 60. And we don't know the slope. So we don't know anything about the relationship in between 20 and 60. And so if you want to find the most accurate model to represent it, where would you measure along the line between 20 and 60 when you only have 10 measurements? So you don't know the Y value at X equals 20 or Y value at X equals 60. Mm -hmm. And so the question is just like what inner or like what points, what 10 points you're measuring at between X equals 20 and X equals 60. I interesting. Is it not just like the increments of four between... 
20s. Yeah. So, so that's a very common one. I also thought it was equally spaced. But if you look at the statistics, it's actually shown that you want to put it at the two ends. So five at 20, five at 60. And people can look more into it. But this is like first day information that you can learn in a statistics course. And so when you're looking at a DOE and you're looking at research, you're like, hmm, I can only do 10 because each test costs like $100,000. What should I do? I think that you want a sample size at the the ends. bigger sample size. Yeah. And basically what that means is that your variance is the lowest for your estimators. And so there's a lot of math. It's like a one page proof, not too hard, but it's very interesting that something that we think is intuitive, like, oh, I would just equally space it. And I think that I would have done that is now very clear that, oh, they did a lot of work. They figured out the math exactly. It actually makes a lot more sense to put it at the two ends and it helps you cut down on all these costs. And so my point being is just that a lot of problems that we will run into have already been solved in other capacities. And it's up to us or it's up to other people to relate other fields of work into what you're doing to become more efficient. And I think that being able to do that is a huge skill to be able to grow beyond what people think you are capable of, because now you're looping in things that they might not even know because they've only only focused on this one thing. So I'm taking one class right now. That was like the first day. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> I had no idea. Why did it take me this long to know this? So I just thought it was super interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. So are the people who are still in school, I guess, and you know, taking other courses outside of the MSc curriculum, it just becomes increasingly valuable. Um, and then one thing that we learned in our episode with Brad about TMS is just like joining these, these communities, these interdisciplinary communities is super helpful to get like input and and learn about other fields. And then maybe you can take your learnings from there and provide a unique perspective to your own work. So those are just maybe a couple of ways where you can take that learning and actually implement it into your life. And on that note, just wanted to mention just this is from personal experience, make sure to learn like your statistical analysis methods, like the standard ones, you know, the one proportion, two proportion tests, the T tests. We've just seeing that it's pivotal for making decisions when you're in the industry. It's all about data-driven decisions and being able to see statistical comparisons between like two processes or, you know, the performance of two different designs. Like it all boils down to statistical analysis for, for those comparisons to see if it's significant. So that's just another random recommendation. Okay, so the next question is, how long does it take in your first full-time role to go from feeling like a new hire to feeling like a contributing employee? I think I mentioned this, but the standard is six months, really. For me, I think it, it felt like a little less. Honestly, it was four months, but then it's just like continuous learning from there. But four months is probably when I started to feel like comfortable and more, more independent, not always asking questions. But yeah, there's just training that goes into it when you start a full-time role um, and it's expected. And so just continue to ask questions and really like develop that network of people. Like it helps to be, to increase your independence when you have like different SMEs that you're asking questions to instead of your manager, like all the time, you know, when you have like different people to ask questions to, you appear more independent to your manager. Do you agree with that or what was your take on just like that general timeline to feel like a contributing employee? Just SMEs, meaning subject matter experts. But no, I agree. I, I think that being able to not bother your boss all the time and 
learn from other people in your team and other people around is extremely helpful and builds a relationship with other people so that your easy question now, which is like, hey, how do I access this database uh, can turn into, hey, I have this question about this relationship. And it just builds and builds and builds. And now you've already have your phone in the door. And so when things get crazy and hectic, you at least already have a baseline to be comfortable enough to like go up and talk to them in person or something like that. So I agree. And then the timeline seems very very reasonable it's a lot about how much they need you so if they need you more they'll push you faster and if they don't need you as much you can have more time to get acclimated it's really the the need of the situation so around like three to six months sounds very reasonable to me okay cool um and that kind of leads into the last question about like just life in the industry what is it like to interact with coworkers who are more experienced than you any takes there any hot takes there <laughs> you know, some of them are old. <laughs> Hot take there, David. Hot take. Sure. I know, I know. But no, I think it's just that sometimes people are old and you are young. And so the age gap and the generation gap can be different. And so it's just going to be hard because you are trying to relate to someone who isn't exactly like you. And so I think that it's first of all, they obviously most likely know more than you. But I think that as we come into industry, we have a lot to give as well. And so teaching them more about some of these methods and some more of these like statistical modeling aspects are something that can really help, especially when they go on like gut and feel, you can analyze that more into helping other people make the same decision-making without the gut or feel that it's probably right, but just like he doesn't know how to explain it to any other person. So I think that's that's one type of coworker that you might work with. What about others beneath? Yeah, I think ultimately, like you said, it's an advantage to be the least experienced person in the room or the least knowledgeable in a specific area, right? Because then that's just a ton of room for for growth. So just like feel free to ask a ton of questions and and continue to learn. But when there are those instances where maybe you just like have a fundamental disagreement or you disagree about their hypothesis, for example, in that scenario, you know, they, they have the leeway to go with their gut, right? Because they have this, this experience. So if you have that disagreement, then it's up to you to bring the facts. You can't just say, well, my gut tells me this because one, one is going to outweigh the other. So that was kind of just something that, that came to mind with, with a personal project, but for the most part, it's really just understanding their motivations as well you know, both within the professional standpoint and just the personal standpoint, the more you get to learn about each of the coworkers that you're working with, the easier it is to communicate with them because then you can go about it and take their motivations into account and like how they prefer to work. And you can find that, find that compromise as well. So it is really just about like that teamwork and working with different functions. It's a challenge, but it's super, super valuable no matter what company you're working for. Anything to add there before we get into some behind the scenes of the podcast? No, I just think that the last thing to mention is just that when you start, you will be the least experienced, but you are going to become one of the most experienced. And so you are going to see both sides of the relationship. So just keep that in mind, the way that you grow and see how you want to end up, whether it's like your coworkers or not like your coworkers, they are kind of you in the future. And so you have a direct way to shape how you end up. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's actually pretty cool, like how quickly you can become like a subject matter expert in a very specific arena. 
at least in like the medical device industry, there's like so many different like aspects of the quality system, for example. And so for me, like in a year, I became like one of the small group of SMEs for periodic safety update reports, which is just like, it's a recent addition to the quality system that talks about the performance of the product over the past year and and the safety and, and everything in between. And so in just the past year, I've written like five or six of them for a variety of products. And so that over time has allowed me to gain more and more experience in that arena where nobody, even in my group, like even counting my managers probably has enough has as much experience as I do. So this is really cool that you can gain that experience in a very short amount of time. And then you can help others who are writing their first report, for example, or, you know, are working on a specific process for the first time. And now we can go into the behind the scenes of the podcast. The first question there is what inspired you to start the podcast? I can start there and then I'll let David take it from kind of what inspired him to join the podcast. The history of the podcast was basically like it was started as a pandemic project. Our internships got pushed back a little bit. It was really Tom's idea to start this material science podcast as a way to showcase the different ways material science has an impact all around us. And then kind of my like personal mission with that and my addition to that was just encouraging more people to get involved in this field as an avenue to change the world. And so we wanted to do that by, we experimented with different ways. And I think the best way for us was to bring on like industry experts, academic experts onto the show so that they can share their story, share more about these very interesting subjects within this broad, broad space of material science and engineering. So that was kind of the reason we started the podcast. And it's been really cool to to see it grow today. And we couldn't have grown this to the extent it has without David's help. So David, why did you end up joining the podcast? For those not familiar, I joined about nine months in as Tom stepped away. And so I came in late, but I was always aware. I talked to Puneeth a lot about it. And I was fresh off by minor in business technology and management. And so I think what really drew me to it was not only the material aspects part of it, talking with industry experts once a week is a fantastic opportunity, something that I really enjoyed, but also just the aspect of running a business, making a business. And I thought I had a lot to contribute and I thought I had a lot of ideas. And so it made sense for me to join because I thought it was a good idea. I thought that I would enjoy talking to the industry experts, which I have. And I thought that I could utilize a lot of the skills that I've learned and then try it out. And so for better or for worse, this podcast was kind of my guinea pig in some aspects. (laughs) So I think I've learned a lot from it, but I've also really enjoyed helping it grow and just being part of the puzzle that has helped push it forward. And so I've been excited along every step of the way. Yeah. And it's been cool to see there was like this shift in in thinking too when David joined. And it was just kind of, we were kind of forced into it, right? So like going behind the curtain, peeking behind the curtain, when we just started out, you know, there was no expectations with this. It was just like, let's have fun with this. It's a hobby. And so Tom would edit the podcast episodes. We would release them like every other week, you know, sometimes take a break. And then I would lead from the marketing efforts in, in terms of posting on Instagram or LinkedIn. And then when David joined the podcast, there was this situation or there was just this conversation where it was like, 
neither of us really wanted to like edit the podcast episodes. Right. And so I was like, okay, that's totally fine. Like that was kind of what was expected. What are we going to do instead? Right. And so then we had to really look at it from just like a business standpoint, where it's like, how can we bring on new team members to really help this grow? Cause there's only so much we can do as just two people, you know? So that's where partnerships came into play with corporate or other organizations then also really bringing on like super valuable, amazing team members who can edit the podcast or help us like build our community and, and grow our network. And so that kind of leads into the next question, which is what is the vision? What is your vision for the future of the podcast and the It's a Material World community and the brand? And so for me, I think it's simple. It kind of boils down to, I want It's a Material World to be that network center for the universe that is material science and engineering. You know, I want us to have that like free community where we can bridge MSc students, you know, undergrad, PhD, high school students to the other aspects of the MSc ecosystem, you know, whether that's companies that are hiring or universities that are looking for new students or organizations, professional societies, conferences. So I want us to continue to grow that grow that community and really provide a ton of value, really understand where the challenges are from the MSc students standpoint and, and help provide solutions for that and continue to create these podcast episodes, hopefully more and more in the future. But yeah, what's your vision, David? I think other than what Puneet talked about, I think that's the overarching goal, but something that I'm excited about and we've been working behind the scenes and you may or you're about to see some of the hard work that we've been putting into it is basically the clarification and densification of like scientific publications, meaning we're taking a paper and we are giving the results, what happened, everything in under a minute. And so I think that as people who are interested in MSc and our main goal is to spread the idea of material science, a big thing is just to get into it, there is a lot of scientific know-how and you need expertise. And so I think by basically not dumbing down, but putting things down into a very (laughs) condensed format, we can really spread the word about material science and what exactly it can do for us. And because I know a lot of people think about, okay, this is great, but what can it do for me? And I'm just really excited about being able to take these PhD level ideas and condense them down to anything uh, to ideas that anybody can understand. And so I think that point of the podcast is to give insight in from industry experts, but now we're trying to peer in and different avenues and how we can give more information about material science and other formats and other mediums. So really excited about that. And I think it would, it's going to be something that we just continually work on. Yeah. I'm super excited about that as well. It's just a way to simplify material science so that anybody can understand it. And I think that's, that extends to a larger challenge with scientific communication is just making it fun, making it exciting, you know, and making it easy to understand. It's a challenge, but we're going to go about it in our own way. So be on the lookout for the rapid research reviews on YouTube as a YouTube short on TikTok and Instagram reels. Super excited about the future of that. And finally, this is another behind the scenes question. How do you find guests for the podcast and then get them to record an episode? So I can go into it. Generally, our process is 
really like sometimes it just kind of happens where we have someone in our network who is super interesting and it's just kind of a natural fit. But most of the time it's doing some outreach, looking up kind of the keywords in the material science space that we haven't quite covered yet. For example, like metamaterials, right? And then looking on LinkedIn, looking on Google at the metamaterials research that's going on at universities or the companies working on it and the different applications. And so as an example for, for that episode, I think it was just a Google search of like metamaterials companies. And we found Metamaterials Incorporated. That was good SEO on their part. But yeah, I just sent like a contact or I just emailed their like submitted the contact form on their website. And I basically said, Hey, you know, we're a material science podcast. We love what you're about. And, you know, we've garnered this, this amount of streams and in, and listeners in this amount of countries. Um, would you like to join us to record a podcast and help kind of build the awareness of your company? It worked out great. Um, we set up an alignment call and I think that was kind of the key thing that a lot of guests have really enjoyed is this, that alignment call where we can discuss the behind the scene or discuss themes and messages that we want to cover and the story that we want to tell with this episode so that we can craft better questions for the interview. And then that, then we can really discuss logistics there. And then, then we schedule the actual recording and it's not scripted at all. We, we have some list of questions to give the flow of the episode, but David and I really try to ask natural follow-up questions to make it really good conversation that, that makes sense and tells a good story. So that's kind of the, the way we go about it. Did I miss anything? No, I think that's great. And I think what's really cool is now some of the guests that we have are like, oh yeah, I've heard of you before. And so, <laughs> and people have reached out before where they're like, hey, can we be on the podcast? And so- I think it's just autocatalytic cycle where we're looking and now other people are looking. And so we hope to bring some really cool guests in the future now that we have a little bit more notoriety to grab some headlines. So I think Puneeth laid it out. And so it's a lot of work and a lot of networking, but it's definitely very interesting to talk to all these people and hear about their stories. And it helps that we have a team around us too that I think we're very grateful for. You know, um, Catherine just joined our team. Bennett has been super amazing. Alexa and Kyle as well. And then our amazing editors, Sam, Sheb. So we have a great team around us and I think we'll, we'll probably be continuing to expand over the next year or so. That really helps us kind of like create these systems and, and make this a machine that where we can continue to find amazing guests and try to produce the highest quality episodes possible. So yeah, that wraps it up. Is there anything you wanted to conclude with before we wrap it up? No, I think maybe you gave away too much of our secrets, Puneeth, but... <laughs> if anybody wants to start a material science podcast, go for it. Like there's an abundance of, of guests to bring on or abundance of topics to talk about. So um, go for it. <laughs> it is it is a challenging process, but we've learned a lot from it. If you like this episode, you know, let us know by leaving a comment on YouTube or on our LinkedIn post and have a wonderful day. As a materials engineer, we can make an impact in nearly every single industry. But with that versatility comes a lot of options to choose from. So if you have no idea which position or industry is right for you, you're not alone. I've been there, I've done that. But just for a moment, imagine narrowing down your ideal role and company within the week. Imagine being able to secure your dream offer without having to apply to hundreds of job openings. 
Our online course, MSE Academy, includes video testimonials, resumes, interview prep, and mentorship from materials engineers who have been in your shoes. We also connect our members with companies and industry professionals in our expansive network to help accelerate your job search process as much as possible. To learn more and get started, simply click the link in the show notes below. And if you enroll within the next 24 hours, we'll add three bonus career-related resources. I hope to see you there.